This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Uh, Today we want to go dig a little deeper into uh, what we were talking about last week from Matthew chapter 16. And I'm also connecting verses from John 10 that um, I opened up this morning with verse 10 from John 10. We're going to connect those verses with the verses from Matthew chapter 16. I'm not going to go through all of the verses that we shared from Matthew 16 last week, but we are going to touch on one section of it, and we're going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into that. And the key word out of it last week was the word purpose, because Jesus said to his followers, if any of you are going to follow me, you're going to have to do what? You're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. And we determined that the cross he was talking about was not the same cross that he bore. If it had been that, he would have said, if any of you is going to come after me, you have to take up my cross and follow me. But that's not what he said. He said, if anybody's going to come after me, if anybody's going to follow me, Let him take up his cross, your cross. See, because the cross he bore only had to be born one time. That's all that was necessary. It's no longer necessary for you and I to go and be sacrificed on an altar and and, uh, crucified and shed our blood and experience what he did and rise from the dead. That's not necessary anymore because... He was the perfect sacrificial lamb, and once he paid that price, that price was paid once and for all, right? Right. So we don't have to do that. However, there is a cross for each one of us to bear. I don't want us to get caught up with that cross and look at it as some sort of a horrible implement of torture a painful burden that we have to carry through life because that's what we know he did. True that this kingdom walk as kingdom sons and daughters is going to involve some pressure, some pain, some persecution, some hardship, and some of us may have to die for it at some point. I don't know. There are believers around the world who are being martyred even as I speak, who are giving up their lives for the sake of the gospel. The message from Jesus absolutely includes that there has to be a willingness in us to die, literally, physically die for the sake of the gospel if it comes to that. If your commitment level to Christ and your relationship with Him is not that strong then you need to grow into it being that strong. Because if you were to ever face that situation to where you had to lay down your life or you had to deny Him and you were not willing to lay down your life but you were willing to deny Him, doesn't that speak a lot to the depth of your relationship right now? I don't think you could say 
Well, I have this deep, intimate, loving relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He saved me of my sins. I'm fully committed. I'm all in. I'm living the victorious kingdom life. And then when the pressure's on and you're being persecuted and potentially uh, threatened with death, you'd be willing to just give that up and deny Him, then no, I, that's, there's too much contradiction there. Uh, it, your, your life in Him currently while you're not under persecution, because believe me, in America, we got some stuff going on, we got some stuff to be concerned about, we've got some stuff to pay attention to, but we are not under persecution in a, at a serious level. Not yet. It, it could be on the way, you know, it, it, certainly in the past 60, 70 years, things have kind of uh, slid on a downward slope in our country, and we've experienced a decay and a deterioration of good stuff and the rise of evil stuff, and we could very well be on the way towards serious persecution against the church, against believers, even to the point of being faced with having to die or deny, but we're not there yet. You know, I, I didn't this past week have anybody come up to me and offer a serious challenge to me about my, my life, my faith, my children, or whatever that was around my faith, you know, my faith in God. Um, it could happen next week, but it hasn't happened yet. I can pretty much get up in the morning, and you can too, and have my time with the Lord and pray and read the Scripture, not have to hide my Bible, not have to shut my mouth, not have to turn down my Christian music if I ever did listen to it. Um, I don't have to do any of that, right? So I'm pretty comfortable, and, you know, I thank God for that. Every time I thank God for it, though, my mind goes to a prayer for those who don't have it that way. Because you have brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters that you've never met who live in other countries who do have to hide their Bibles, who cannot pray out loud in public, who don't go to church in the traditional sense like this, who can't openly proclaim their faith, or they are at risk of being persecuted, imprisoned, and potentially even killed. So... It's a serious walk. It's a walk that day by day we need to be doing a self-evaluation on. Where am I? How strong is my relationship with God? How secure do I feel in my faith? What if this uh, persecution from hell was to be unleashed on me tomorrow? How would I handle it? So let's jump into Matthew. Do we have Matthew 16? <clears throat> this little section here we're going to consider today, and we're going to link it with John chapter 10. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say, who, who are the others out there saying that the Son of Man is? What's the word on the street? What, what's the chit-chat that you're hearing out there in the marketplace and in the schools and wherever you go about who I am? That's what he's asking them. And, and so they say, well, some say John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is dead by now. He's already been martyred. And um, so some are saying that Jesus is the reincarnation of John the Baptist. And some say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus just kind of casually, it seems, 
accepts their answer, probably just kind of nods, hmm, okay, so that's what's going on. And I think he probably knows what's going on already. He just opening up a deeper conversation here. There's a really, really profound and deep conversation that he's about to launch into with them, and this is opening it up. So the next thing he says is, but what about you? Who do you say I am? So he flips the script now from people out there who have not been uh, getting to know him personally, who have not been in his camp, following him around, listening closely to his teachings after the masses go home from the hillsides. These are just average citizens out there, but they've heard about him because he's making quite a splash in their society. So he says, um, it flips to these guys who are on his inner circle, who have been sitting by the campfire with him, who are now his good friends. And he says, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter responds and he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus' answer is very exciting, very energetic. He's all about what Peter has just said. He is um, feeling encouraged about the fact that somebody who's with him is actually seeing the real picture of what's going on. And he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, that's Petra, the rock, And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. And here's where I really want us to focus today. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Has anybody ever been a little bit fuzzy on exactly what that means? Bound in heaven, loosed in heaven, bound on earth, loosed on earth. What does that mean? I've heard it a lot, and usually when I've heard it, it's been in terms of binding up the devil, praying against evil. Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Have you ever heard that prayer? And so whatever you bind in the name of the Lord, whatever you pray over and proclaim in the name of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, according to His will and purpose, is going to be bound here on earth. And whatever you lose, whatever blessing you pray for, whatever good thing you ask the Father to send, is going to be loosed in heaven. It's going to be loosed on earth because you had faith and you responded in obedience and you prayed for it. Well, so like, like so many other things, and y'all know how it is, it's just I, I just can't, I, I have a hard time falling into the cookie cutter form of the gospel. I just here's my problem. I always have a problem, right? It's just a problem that keeps me digging around looking for a solution. The problem is, is that all this binding and loosing just doesn't seem to be working. Huh? 
If that's all it is, why is it not working? Why, why when Christian people start yelling at the devil and binding him in the name of Jesus, he just don't seem to be bound? Why when they host these spiritual warfare seminars, conferences, crusades, and fill up stadiums with people who yell at the devil and tell him to get out, that he has no authority, that he has no place in their city, and they're binding him in the name of Jesus and sending him back to hell where he came from. Why is it the next day the city seems to still have the same level it had the night before? Does anybody have a good answer? If you do, I'll be more than happy to turn this microphone over to you right now. Where I have to land is, well, that just can't be all there is to it. At least, and at most, maybe that's not what it means at all. You have to take everything in context. We've said that a million times. We can't pluck that out and start just talking about binding and loosing evil and blessing all over the place and not look at it inside the context in which it's given. Here's the context. Jesus asked them, who are people saying I am? And then he asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He confirms to Peter that what he is saying is absolutely correct. So we have nailed down a couple of things here. We've nailed down that the people out there, the uninformed, uneducated on the outside, people are playing a guessing game about who God is and about what's going on here. They don't have a clue. They go to theory, they go to philosophy, they go to opinion, and they go to idea because they do not want to lock on to the truth. There's only one truth. There's a million ideas. There's one truth. There's how many people there are on the planet. That's how many opinions there are, but there's only one truth. You hear people start talking about, well, your truth is different from my truth. You call them a liar and walk away because there's only one truth. One truth. There's not your truth and my truth. There's one truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, not a truth, not a member of the truth society, not one of many truths. I am the truth. The truth is there is one true God, there is one only begotten Son of God who came to this earth and died to pay the price for our sins and rose from the dead, went back to his Father, sent his Holy Spirit who's still with us right now. That is the truth. Anything else is a theory, opinion, an idea, or a philosophy. Whichever one you want to jump on the wagon with, go for it. But understand as you're jumping on that that's what it is. So, he's nailed down. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the context. Can we put the Scripture back up so people can keep following along as we go through it? And he says, Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed it to you. And I say that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Now this is very important. 
Let's go over to John chapter 10 real quick, and we may flip back and forth for a minute. Verse 7 says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate. So let's interchange the word door and the word gate right here, okay? I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. I think there's one more verse, right? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All right, so real quick, we're not going to be here too long. But I'm going to give you something that if you embrace it, if you take it as your own, if you leave here chewing on it and meditating on it and, and allowing it to be ingested inside of you, it's going to change you. It's going to change your thinking a little bit. It's going to transform you a little bit more from the inside out. It's going to make you stronger in your relationship with him, and it's going to make you more effective in anything that you try to do in the kingdom. Right? If you... And it's time for some of you to do it, frankly. Frankly, it, it's, it's just time, okay? Um, the day and the hour of playing around with lukewarm Christianity needs to be over. All right, we, we are facing too much as a body. We need strength. We need unity, that's what we need. We need strength and we need unity. We need solid, unshakable commitments. We need to stop flip-flopping here and there and being blown about by everything that pops up. And the first thing we need to do is to understand that God is offering us a key. He's offering us a key to unlock the kingdom door in our lives. He's offering us a key. How do we get to the point where He can trust us with the key and where we're willing to accept the key? Who's He talking to? He has shifted here from talking to the masses on the hillside and he's talking to a few close followers who are willing to follow him on down the road when the masses have gone home. Those who are willing to follow him up, on up on the hillside and sit down by the fire and late at night allow him to explain to them at deeper levels what he meant by the stories and the lessons that he told out there on the hillside. Those are the people who are offered the keys. You're never going to get offered a key to be an insider in the kingdom by just going to church. That's not how you get a key. Believe it or not, you're not even going to get offered a key if you just pray a 20-word sinner's prayer. That doesn't earn you the right to a key. If you don't believe me, my suggestion is read the Bible. Read the New Testament. See what's required. See what's involved 
and being someone that God will trust with the secrets that are in his heart. He doesn't trust everybody that just walks up and says, hey, I'd like to get some of that. There was a young man who was wealthy, who was influential, who walked up to him and says, how can I get the kingdom of God? And Jesus didn't just say, well, hey, because you walked up and asked. Here. Hey, because you showed some interest, because you came to church and asked me the question. Jesus' answer wasn't, well, if you'll repeat this prayer after me, you'll be good to go. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. No. He said, I know who you are. I know what you're about. I know what you have. For you, in order to get a key to the door, I want you to go sell everything you own, and I want you to give all your money away to benefit the poor. If you do that, then I'm going to give you a key to the door. Uh, well, Jeff, are you saying that salvation is not free? We have, to, we have to pay for our salvation? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. You see, salvation is the one free gift that does exist, but once you decide for salvation, you make a decision that you're stepping through a doorway and you're committing your life to moving and walking and living and breathing inside His kingdom and living in full obedience to His words. You don't just pray a prayer and you're a Christian and you're good to go. It just doesn't work like that. You want a key? Come to Him and say, Hey, how do I get the kingdom? And whatever it is for you, it won't be that you sell everything you own and give everything you, all the money away to bless the poor because for some of us, that $10 just don't mean that much. Right? So for you and for me, it's probably going to be something else. Where is it that our priorities are out of whack? What is it that we could never move off the center so that God could be in the center? See, for that young man, it was his wealth. It was his influence. It was his material possessions. He could not move those off the center in order to put God at the center. And so he had to sorrowfully turn and walk away. He could not get a key to the kingdom because he was not willing to pay the price that was required. Jesus said, I want to give you a key. If you'll sit with me, if you'll invest in the relationship, if you will pay careful attention to my words, if you will respond in absolute obedience to those words, I will place a key in your hand. And it's going to be a key to a door that is going to introduce you to the most abundant life, life to the full that you can ever imagine. Full life. I think it's time for some of us. Because we've been living in this life with too much frustration, with too much bitterness, with too much of a feeling that there has to be more that I just haven't realized yet. Too much lack, too much want, 
too much selfishness, too much unforgiveness that still stands in the way, not enough peace, not enough freedom, not enough joy, not enough hope, not enough of all the great things that are promised as absolute benefits to those who hold a key, and too much of the stuff that still belongs outside that door. And it's a push and pull. It's always a tug of war in our hearts because we, we love God. We want to know God. We want to serve God. We want God to bless us. But we have not yet laid ourselves down, flipping back to Matthew 16, where he said, if any of you are going to follow me, you have to take up your cross. If any of you want to experience real and abundant life, you have to give up your own life. And then he says to Peter in, in Matthew um, 16, in these last few verses. Let's go to the next screen. Here we go. Verse 19, I will give you the keys, keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, if this business of binding and loosing doesn't just have to do with spiritual warfare, with praying against the devil, with praying for the Holy Spirit to come, fight battles on our behalf, binding up the evil, loosing the good stuff. If it doesn't have much or anything to do with that, what, what is it about? We have to understand that these terms, binding and loosing, were legal terms in their society. These were terms that you would hear in court. You've heard the term being bound by the law, right? That means that you are uh, under compulsion to obey the law or you're going to pay the penalty for not obeying the law. These are legal terms. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, listen, there is a door and that door is me. He introduced himself as the door in John chapter 10. He said, I am the gate. I am the door. I'm the way in to the sheepfold. I'm the way in to the kingdom. You have to come through me to get in, to be in that spot of abundant life with me. I'm going to give you a key to get in that door. The key is going to be an individual key. It's going to be based on your own life. It's going to be based on your own circumstances. Some of you are going to have to, to disassemble a lot of stuff that has been assembled in your life before your key's going to work. I was thinking, I've got to say this the right way, but I was thinking when we were singing a few minutes ago and we were worshiping that there's a spirit of freedom in the room. There's a spirit of there's just this light, beautiful spirit of worship and freedom that is in the room when we gather on Sunday mornings and we sing and we hear the music and we participate in that. I don't have to go back a decade or two to talk about whether or not there was always a spirit of liberty like that in this room. I only have to go back a short time within the window of time that we've been here and we've been here what was it five years six years in april i don't know we've been here a while and we went for a few years and i don't y'all may not even understand what i'm talking about i'll just be quick with it and move on 
We went for a few years in here where there was this heaviness in the room when it came time to try to worship. It was almost like things were tied up to a certain extent, that there was this something that was keeping us from being where we really wanted to be in terms of our worship. And yes, we did go for a long time without musicians, and then we, we went for a long time where we didn't have enough musicians or singers. Did I say musicians or magicians? Seemed like I th- said magicians. I mean musicians. Anyway, I believe that we've had to chip away just through perseverance, through our commitment, through our prayers, through our humbling and surrendering ourselves before the Lord to be able to have this free spirit of worship cover this place, right? And I think a lot of that maybe fell on me from from stuff in my head, stuff in my heart that I had to get rid of concerning any kind of thinking, any kind of history, any kind of thing with me. And because, you know, I'm I'm not up on the stage there playing an instrument or singing, but I'm the leader of the house and I've heard it said, never really embraced it because I didn't want it, but whatever's in the heart of the leader of the house in terms of worship is going to spill off. And that may not be a big public or, or demonstration or any sort of a demonstration that's even recognizable. Right? But I think it's a spiritual issue where there has to be this freedom of worship in the hearts and minds of those who are leading the worship. Or it's not going to be genuine. It's not going to be legitimate, and you're going to feel some heaviness around it. So I think we have, in a sense, been and are being loosed to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and in a lot of freedom. That's a side note. Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm giving you a key. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven and vice versa. Okay? These are legal terms. So, if we commit ourselves in a way that causes God to trust us with keys to the kingdom... That gives us, that looses us to walk through the door. It looses us to walk that kingdom pathway day by day abundantly, fully, with all the benefits of kingdom life. Perfect peace that passes understanding. Freedom that causes us to have to look down here and there to make sure our feet are on the ground. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You've heard these things, but some of us are just not living in them. And it's time. 
It looses us to experience this relationship with God through His Son Jesus the way it's designed, not this pitiful, anemic, nauseating, casual Christianity. It looses us to go through the door to enjoy that life, to be fulfilled in that life, to be productive in that life. And secondly, it looses us to reach out and bring other people into the kingdom as well. This is hard to even explain, put into words. But don't all of us want to see people that we know and love come in to the kingdom, experience a loving relationship with God, experience His freedom, live that abundant life that the Bible talks about? Don't we want that? Well, maybe the reason we don't see more of that is because that so many of us are not in a position yet to where we are even walking in that freedom. We haven't been loosed to live it out ourselves, much less bring anybody else into it. You see, the loosing loosens a lot. It turns us loose to live this powerful, effective, abundant life. And it looses us to lock arms with other people and walk them into it with us. So what does it bind Binding simply means it locks the door on everybody else. It locks the door. I'll give you the keys. You know I'm the door. You make a decision to enter the door. Everything is loosed for you, just like it's loosed in heaven. Guess what happens in heaven? Guess what's going to happen in heaven when you're there? Everything good and beautiful and godly and productive and abundant is going to be at your fingertips at all times. That's the kind of loosing God has in mind for us here. He gives you the key, you enter the door, and it's loosed just like it's loosed in heaven. But if He can't trust you with the key... You're bound, you're locked out. If you're bound and locked out, you have no opportunity to introduce anybody else to an opportunity to walk through the door. I'll tell you what I want just to close. I'll tell you what I want to see more of here. I want to see more of our own people step up, stand up, walk up, whatever it looks like, and say, it's time for me. I'm tired of the same old, same old. I want the key. I'm walking through the door. I'm throwing my hands up in surrender. I'm going to trust God and see if He'll trust me.
playing no games, no half-hearted anything, I'm in. I'm in 100%. Listen, I've been doing this a long time. I've got about six guys, friends, who consistently say to me, let me know if you need me for anything. Do you need anything from me? What can I do for you? And I know they mean it. They're genuine. They're honest. They have servants' hearts. It ain't about serving me. It's about that attitude. I'm in. I understand that in means that I'm enjoying an abundant life. I'm ready to give some of that away. I'm ready to walk in obedience. I'm ready to lock arms with other people who have the same mindset. Let's go. What do you need me to do? I'm here. What do you need me to do? But what should strike you about that is that I said about six. Because I know a lot more than six guys. A whole lot more. Church guys, Christian guys. I want to see all of us stand up, speak up, walk up, whatever it takes to say, I'm in. I'm done with this. I'm done with all the rest in terms of believing ideas, opinions, philosophies, theories. I'm buying into the truth. I want the key to the door. I'm stepping through the door. And then the second thing I really want to see is I want to see us really connecting with people who are still outside the door and helping them understand how to get a key. Helping them, helping them take those steps. Helping them understand that there is an abundant and free life that's available to them. And saying to them on a consistent basis, what do you need from me? What do you need me to do? Hey, I'm here. Call me. If the church at large adopted the truth that Jesus is offering all of us keys, it wasn't exclusive, it wasn't exclusive to those people, and it wasn't exclusive to that day and time. It transcends time and space. It's good for us right here today. Every person who's sitting here, he's offering the key. And he is the door. He's ready. I don't know if we're ready or not. If we have people that, and how long you've been in church doesn't matter. doesn't matter at all. Whatever your profession of faith has been in the past doesn't matter at all. But if we have people who are ready to say, hey, I, it's my time. It's time. You can do that however you want to. I don't force things. I don't pressure people. I'm not going to sing 
just as I am without one plea 25 times until you come to the altar. No. You've received the word. My prayers are over everybody in this room. You make your decision. Do you want a key or not? Father, thank you for the instruction we find in your word that speaks to us personally right here this morning. Thank you for letting us know that you love us enough to invite us. Come. Come to me, all you who are tired and worn out. I'm going to be the rest. I'm going to be the hope. I'm going to be the peace that you need. I am the door, and I'm offering you a key. And if you choose to take the key and you choose to enter the door, you enter, you enter into abundant life where all the blessing, the benefit that I have for you is loosed and turned into your possession. And everything that would steal from you, attempt to kill you or destroy you is bound and locked out. And I also lose you to influence others, to walk them through that door into their own experience with God through Jesus Christ. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for those who've already done it. Thank you for those who are fully invested. Thank you for those who are offering themselves as living sacrifices, as their spiritual act of worship, and as their reasonable service to God and man. And I pray that all of us would either today or in the very near future make the decision that it's our time. It's our time. In your name we pray. Amen.